This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Chris Fairbanks here with some show announcements. Coming up very soon on March 23rd, I'll be at the Meyer Theater in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The next day I'm at the Laughing Tap in Milwaukee. And then I'm at City Winery in Chicago. I'm closing out all these shows with the haunted Renwick Mansion in Davenport, Iowa. Ooh, sounds scary. And then in May, starting on the 10th, I'll be in New York City, the apple that's big, at the Bell House, followed then by Jam and Java in Vienna, Virginia. That's very near D.C. And then I'm closing out the shows with City Winery in Philly, Delphia. Thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> are you leaving or are you on your way back home? Either way, we want to be there. Doesn't matter how much baggage you claim. Give us a time and date. Terminal and gate. We want to send you off in style. We want to us all about it. Were you scared or was it fine? Mouthhorn. Welcome to Do You Need a Ride? This is Chris Fairbanks. And this is Karen Kilgariff. You know, Karen, before we record, sometimes if I haven't left the house in a while, I will go and try and experience something. So I have have, uh, something to share with you, but I didn't have to try hard today. It's something very exciting happened. I'm very excited to share it with you. What is it? I went golfing. I promise this isn't a golfing story. But I hit, there's one hole there that's real short. It's a three-par hole. And uh, before it, there's a couple mounds of grass, so you can't really see the flag. And I saw a tiny coyote. Like, it looked like an actual puppy, and it was, like, pouncing playfully. It's before coyotes get uh, mange and they get upset, and then they don't, they really don't want to be around people. But he was very a frisky coyote. And I hit the ball. I could not see the ball. It went behind these mounds. And then, but I saw exactly the direction it went. It went to the Mm -hmm. left of the green, and I knew I probably didn't land on it again. And I ran up. I saw the little coyote run off after I hit. I thought, oh, no, I wonder if I got close to him. He got scared. And I went. As I walked up, my ball was right by the hole. Karen, I know this coyote picked up my ball. He understood <laughs> the rules of golf and he had it in his little mouth and he dropped it near the hole. And I don't know if rules wise, if I, if that is a playable ball, I think so. I think it's a, it's the same as if it bounced off a tree and went near the hole. I swear I did not see him do it. I wish I did, but I'm very certain. I'm 90% certain this cute little coyote puppy had my ball in his mouth. What if you actually got hit? Listen to my theory, because there's another way to look at this. What if you got a hole in one and that coyote took the ball out of the hole? See, later and on in life. And put it next to the hole. I, they, when they get older, I can tell they are not fans of golf. And we are just <laughs> and there like, and they don't even respect us. They don't. They will hang out on purpose and act like they're bathing. Because we know those coyotes. They don't really... They're not worried about looking sharp. They're not a fox. But you're saying a young coyote is going to help you before it gets cynical, before right. it learns the ways of the before world. Before he listens to the pack, exactly. This yeah. baby coyote was still had this hopeful 
I just love it. And I, of course, went online and there's a lot of footage of little coyotes. (laughs) They're always young, playing with golf balls in the dark. And some, I just, I'm so excited by it. I just wish I could have seen it. That was like your own little Legend of Bagger Vance coyote version. Yeah. What if it gave me life advice, right? When I came Uh, up like a a wise cat. Invest in land, right? As you walk up to the ball. Well, congratulations. That's I, a great, thank you. That's I, great. D- I think they are in order. Congratulations. I, I think they are due. And I did par that hole. If that's a good ending, I think it, it's as good as it those can Those words end. are meaningless to me. I don't know. It is the goal of golf. Get it in three. You got it in two. Yeah, I I got it in three. If it was a birdie, boy, that would... Oh, my God, what if a bird swept down and grabbed my ball? <laughs> and then went, birdie! That what if they're all so used to you guys golfing at that golf course that they all know how to help you numbers-wise? Yeah, I would, lo- I would love it if there's a parrot somewhere that yells, four. Four! <laughs> that, of course, is when a ball's heading towards you. A helpful parrot. I just... You know me, I got an animal fever. I just lately <laughs> since the big bite. Oh, since that dog bit me, my friend. I <laughs> I did. I I almost got bit yesterday. This isn't, but um, I hugged my friend, and he just got a new dog, and the dog did not like that I hugged him, and he had a classic Spuds McKenzie Bud Light face, and he lunged at me, but he just nipped, just nipped at my sweatshirt, and I'm like, hey, great, cool, new dog. <laughs> But it didn't happen. It was just a close call. But uh, yeah, it made my day. And it, it can only be made better by our guest today. God, segue. I'm so good at it. That was the segue on par with your coyote experience. Thank you. Same. Today's guest, you know, from uh, clubs and colleges across the country. Yeah. Uh, he's a damn delight. He's always been supportive and sweet. And uh, everyone, put your ears together for our friend, Kurt Braunohler. Woo! Hello. How are you, buddy? Hello. I am so excited to laugh. Uh, I heard when you said, <laughs> uh, went golfing. <laughs> I am, that that I, was enough? <laughs> <laughs> it, it got me going. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, 80? <laughs> well, there's more to this story. <laughs> you said wet golfing, but the like because of like the Zoom digital stuff, I heard wank offing. <laughs> and I immediately was like, he says wank offing and not wanking <laughs> off. <laughs> like that was I went off on that and then came back to be like, there's a coyote involved. And then I was like, it's a golfing story. Okay. <laughs> But it was a cool, it was a cool three seconds. Do you know how your brain can go to like 50,000 dimensions within the space of you taking a breath? That's what happened. Right. I like the idea that Chris would start this podcast telling me about a time he went wank offing. I'd just be like, excuse me. um, No, thank you. That's private. I'm just thinking of a kid that his parents immigrate here and he's new to a school. And he wants to relate to the other kids. They're all coming of that age. And he says, do you guys like wank offing? <laughs> and they're like, you're, you're going to like it here, kid. The new Australian guy's weird. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, probably that's... how they do say it in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wank offing? <laughs> Kurt, what's going on? What, yeah. what do you have what to report? What the hell is going on, Kurt? What's your, what par are you shooting these days? Yeah. What's up? How's your wank off game? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I really hope that that coyote put that. I I just want, I want him to have helped you so badly now. Also, I love that you were searching a very specific search when you found many videos of (laughs) baby coyotes playing with golf balls. Yeah, it's common because they are, I see them and uh, we see, we've just gotten used to. Sure, there's rattlesnakes also, which, uh, you know, we avoid those. But the coyotes do not want to be our friend, and I want them to be, because a lot of them are really dog-like and cute. Not that they have to be cute for me to like them. Animals. No. I, I once know. found a, a coyote who was just asleep on the side of the road in Griffith Park. And so I called, and I was like, something's wrong. Uh, uh, 
And so I called <laughs> animal control. At first I called 911 and they're like, stop. And then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, What's your emergency? <laughs> well, it's more of a concern. I've got a sleeping coyote where I am. And um, I think he's having nightmares. <laughs> and so I waited. So then I got in touch with animal control. They're like, we'll send a park ranger, whatever we send. And then while I'm waiting, he <laughs> he just like wakes up, stands up and trots off. And then as he trots into the woods, like the animal control pulls up and I'm standing there. And he's like, did you call? And I was like, he just walked away. He's like, yeah. Of course he did. And then he just drove away. <laughs> oh, wow. He Shit. couldn't be bothered. <laughs> what if that is like a pranking coyote? And yes. he's like, he's just trying to mess with that animal control guy because he's the enemy. Yeah, that's one thing we've learned, I think, is they love pranking humans. Uh, yeah. They are Why the was that guy upset? Usually he has to s- scrape up roadkill with a shovel. He should have been delighted. <laughs> Yeah, problem yeah. took care of itself, pal. It's That's the first thing I thought of when you said I saw a coyote sleeping next to the side of the road. I'm like, oh, no, that's just what Lauren told you. That coyote <laughs> yeah. was dead. It sounded like someone was really trying to keep you from the harsh yeah, the yeah. harsh realities of Griffith Park. They nap all the time. Usually it's on a nearby ranch, Kurt. <laughs> they go off to a ranch to nap. The nap ranch. I, I mean, I know <laughs> yeah. about it. Look, I've dealt with it. On bananas, what's has there been any weird? What's your favorite animal related Ooh. bananas story? I mean, there's so many animals. We want to make t shirts that say birds, buttholes, bananas because it's mostly <laughs> birds, butt, and butthole stories. Um, <laughs> what's my favorite? Oh, my favorite one of my favorite animal stories is there was a, a crow in Oregon. It showed up at a uh, elementary school and uh, came in through a window into a science class and then was just like sit, like jumping from people's the kids' desk to kids' desk. They put a little hat on it for and it was totally okay <laughs> with it. There's like a photograph of it wearing a tiny hat and um, and it was talking and it was talking and it was saying words and it was cursing a lot. And so because a lot of people don't know that crows can talk, but crows are hyper smart and they and a lot of them can talk if they're humanized or whatever it's called. Yeah. And uh, trained, which all you have to do to do that is put a hat on them. (laughs) It's called humanized, Karen. (laughs) Okay, I mean, yes. Once you put a hat, yes, Aunt. Once you put a hat on it, it's humanized. Okay, it's not trained. (laughs) It makes a sound, and then it's humanized. (laughs) And the story behind it. So all these kids were. Like, like fascinated, and you know the teacher was fascinated. They had to call. They called a bunch of people, and like animal control wouldn't come, and then wildlife rescue started to come. But then a kid who was not in that class recognized the crow, and was like, "That's my neighbor's crow friend." Like, not her crow. <laughs> so what had happened? This was the craziest story. Is that this woman who lived like twenty miles away? Uh, she fed this crow every day. So it wasn't like her pet or anything. It was a wild crow, but she would feed it and talk to it. And it could talk and it was very smart and everything, but it really annoyed her neighbor. So when she went out of town for the weekend, her neighbor kidnapped the fucking bird and drove it like 50 miles away and let it off somewhere because it didn't want the, because, you know, the, the woman said the bird would go after the neighbor a lot because the, the bird saw the neighbor as like a threat to her friend. Yeah, they do that. Crows will shit yeah. on you if they, if they yeah. don't like and the like, cut of your jib. Dive bomb you. Yeah. And then the bird slowly made its way back towards the area but didn't know where his friend was and he was lost. But he found a Planet Fitness and he stood, <laughs> this is so crazy, he stood on top of the Planet Fitness, the door, and just talked to everyone who was going in and out of the Planet Fitness until he saw a friend of the woman who was coming out and then taking her son to school, followed that woman's car and then followed the boy who was the son of the friend of the woman who knew the crow. And then the woman came and picked up the crow and brought it home. Holy shit. Oh, my Lord. That's it's, incredible. Was it that crazy? <laughs> I like that, and correct me if I'm wrong, this whole crow story doesn't involve him flying at any point. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's mostly vehicular travel and hat wearing. It's, 
and ki- and crow napping. Tons of crow napping. Tons. I want him to have gotten on top of the Planet Fitness to have used a ladder. <laughs> And then a helicopter picked him up and drove him back to his old neighborhood. <laughs> there's there's women on um, TikTok, or there's a woman, I should say, on TikTok who did a thing where she was feeding crows and they kept, more and more kept coming into the tree in her front yard, bringing her presents, which is my favorite when they bring little shiny things yep. like, here, you like this, it's a bottle cap, which is the cutest. But then she was like, as she walks, they follow her up the street. So it, like, if you were, I would just imagine like a 14-year-old goth doing this, oh, and then man. you have like an army of crows walking behind you. Pretty awesome. Like, it would be a dream come true. <laughs> oh, yeah. For me. <laughs> <laughs> and they can you- communicate to other crows what you look like. So you could go into a new neighborhood, and the cro- <laughs> new crows would come flocking to you. That, okay. They'd be like, she's great. She's You'll cool. get really good corn. <laughs> Or whatever. <laughs> Crow phone. <laughs> I, oh my God. I, how do they do that? How is that proven? How do they communicate with each other and tell, they, do they describe what you're wearing? They, there was, that was another story where it was like, they showed, like, um, they had one group of crows where like a guy would harass them all the time. And then another one where the, another guy would like give them treats all the time. And then they like went to a separate I don't know, murder of crows that was nearby. And that murder had communicated what the guy looked like who harassed them so that mm-hmm. they started harassing the guy uh, who harassed the other murder of crows. It was crazy. It's straight up. I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it. I mean, they obviously they talk, they can talk. You know how they do it? Gossip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This biggest... They get little little kitchen tables and they sit around and they talk massive shit. <laughs> oh, God, I hope it was a top hat. That's just... A... <laughs> it was a little Santa's hat. That's what it... Because it was around Christmas time. And... What bold child. I that The idea of doing that, putting a hat on a crow, actually, that's a, that kid had... I mean, I mean, the crow was sitting on their desks and just being like, eat my ass. Because it was <laughs> cursing a lot. Is and, that really what it was saying? I don't like, know if it was stuff? saying "eat my ass." It was cursing. <laughs> it was cursing. I know that because uh, the woman who picked him up was like, "Well, he does. He does curse a lot. He does have a foul mouth." <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if anyone doubts a single word I just said, the uh, article is in the Oregonian. I remember it. You can mm. Google uh, "Planet Fitness Crow" and the Oregonian. <laughs> It's a legit newspaper. <laughs> I never even thought about that part. <laughs> it really is. Oh, is it? I thought you were going to say some... No, it's like, I thought you were going to say, if you want to do it, you can Google news of the coast or whatever, where it's like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. But it's really the most legit newspaper of the Pacific Northwest. I could talk animal stories from bananas for forever, forever, really. I I mean, it is what I asked of you. And that is the joy of that podcast to me. It's just kind of like weird news. You go, oh, yeah, I love I love that. I love the idea of it. It's it's delightful. You kind of can hear what's going on in the world, but it's not all the stuff that makes you want to have a heart attack. (laughs) But there's so much of it that there's now at this point, you guys have been doing it for three years. Three years. But now there, it's like all these subcategories. It's like this again. Oh, one of these. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many subcategories of weird news. It's amazing. Yeah. And the, and this is, uh, the you know, Last of Us, The Last of Us, which is all about, mm-hmm. like, their zombies are, like, fungus instead of being what it usually it's a virus. Yeah. Um, and I was immediately like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was one we did about bees which was um, there's like a fungus that infects bees. <laughs> it kills them. It kills right. them, then takes over their brain and makes them have sex with as many other bees as they possibly can until they ascend, until their bodies disintegrate just to pass <laughs> the fungus on to other bees. And oh, so there's wow. zombie bees that are just fucking constantly. Uh, and <laughs> it's crazy. So like that whole Last of Us thing is totally from... Like, you know, from bees. <laughs> yes. From science. From science. Well, 
Kurt, can you tell us your best butthole story? My best butt. Well, that's that's a pretty good butthole story because the the, the fungus actually becomes their butthole. But um, <laughs> kind of sounds like you're lying a little bit. Just you know what I mean. Like that sounded like a fifth grade lie where yeah. you're just like going with what Chris said. You you had me until fungus butthole. Funny you should I mention that because that's out. exactly <laughs> they. I the I swear to God that's part of it. The bottom half of the bee becomes the fungus, and so it like it like a that's where it is. It just the whole bee is fungus at that point, and it's mm. you know shoving it into places. Um, wow! But I'm trying to think the best butthole story. Butthole. Oh, it's a good one. I mean, like we used to have when we first did the original, like the thing that the, like the sh- the pilot that this was based on, we did a um a, a whole segment called What's Up Your Butt? And it was just uh, x-ray scans from emergency rooms mm-hmm. of things that had been removed from people's butts. And we've seen a lot of those. But still, the most surprising one is a full um, Buzz Lightyear action figure, which I'm wow. still un- I'm still confused as to how because it has arms that go out like this. You can understand the dome part, but then the yeah. arms are sticking up like this, you know, because he's saying to infinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that was the joke was to infinity and be ouch. <laughs> so that's probably Shit. one of my favorite butthole ones. Oh God, I love it. When you did that segment, did you play Eddie Murphy's song? Put a little man in your butt. Do you guys remember that song? Put a dinner in your butt. Put a Put tiny a tree in, in your, your butt. butt. Yeah. It's my sister and I had the list memorized. Um we lived in a small town. There wasn't a lot to do. Yeah. And uh, was it's a, a whole though. list of things that you could, according to Eddie Murphy, put in put your a butt tiny man for fun. In your butt. Put a put a whole rubber band in your butt. Yes. And it's very yeah. it was very catchy. It was very well written. Yeah. Yeah. God, just lock him in a room with uh <laughs> coked up who who did all that music with him? He spent like the weekend with Rick James, I think. Oh, really? Made all those songs. Yeah. I don't think I... for a party all the time and all yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were your favorite as kids? Like, what were your favorite comedy albums that that happened to listen to? Man, Delirious, I listened to, yep. and that's right when um, Walkmans came out. Mm-hmm. So I have a very distinct memory of being on like the volleyball bus and. My friend Patty Leone snapped off one of the like you um, on your Walkman. You could snap off a speaker and give it to somebody else, and like then reattach it later. What you weren't breaking anything, and so we just held. She had hers on, and then I held the thing up, and we listened to that thing because we would always we were tiny high school, so we'd have to go play other tiny high schools. So we'd have to drive like up the you know. California coast up into like Point Arena and up by Eureka and like so far away just to find another school that was also tiny and bad at sports. And so, you know, we like listened to the whole thing both sides a couple times, like there and back or whatever. So it was groundbreaking because it truly, it wasn't, I felt like all the comedy I'd seen up till that point was like evening at the improv, kind of mild, everyone had a blazer on. It was very like, you can tell this joke at work or whatever. And it just felt so different. And it was just so genuinely hilarious. I just loved it. I remember remember watching that, uh, I guess on cable when it, yeah, like over and over and over and raw, delirious and raw over and over and over and over Oh, man, I was obsessed with both of those. Yeah, he's so good. I'm almost embarrassed that my first album, comedy album that I listened to was Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> because Sign of the he times. was on, yeah, he was on Def Jam, Def American. And so maybe that's how I found out about it. There was older kids in my neighborhood that were listening to it, but it was the same thing you're saying, Karen. It was like, if you're used to the blazer comedy of late night MTV mm-hmm. half hour comedy hour with Mario Joyner. Uh, it's insane that someone's talking about squirting shampoo on the floor because he loves pert. I don't actually, a lot of the stuff I bet <laughs> if I listen to it now, none of it 
would uh, hit me the same way, but that it just happened to be the first. You don't think nurse, dirty nursery rhymes would hold you up? You know what? I never was into the. I'm like, I this seems a little juvenile, and I was 15. Uh, but yeah, I some of the stories like him getting very angry about expensive shampoos, so he would take the pert. Shoot and shoot it all over the floor like someone's load. I take the jaboba. <laughs> so it was like a about him stealing shampoo, actually. And I just thought, how hilarious <laughs> to focus on that and tell it to a crowd of people. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't like the rhyming. I've never liked rhyming. I think the only actual uh, tape I had, though, was um, Adam Sandler's. Um, mm. Do you remember that? Does did anyone yeah, listen to that? Yeah, you might be right. It was all I don't sketches. Know it was mostly sketches and songs. So it wasn't stand up or anything. And it was the first time I heard sketch comedy. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, the goat in the back of the truck. There was a he did all the voices. There was other people in it. I I remembered. Yeah, I remember being one enjoyable. where like he bought a bag of weed from a guy, but it was pencil shavings. And that's all I remember. Like that is the yeah. extent of that I remember. <laughs> I would listen to it over and over and over again. And I remember one word, like four words yeah. from one sketch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. it's so funny that at that time, though, I, yeah, I don't think I did not realize comedy albums were a thing. I just didn't, you didn't know that. Yeah. I remember watching that whole like, uh, like a live at the improv stuff. Um, and I don't know. And I still want, and maybe you guys have heard this joke and know what comedian this was, but I remember I was probably 13. I saw this on like some variety show. It was, the joke was, it was a dude, white dude in a blazer. And he said, <laughs> uh, I was at the airport and, um, I went to go to the, use the bathroom, but they had a sign up that said, please use floor below. And they didn't even put down paper or anything. But <laughs> See I, that? I, I would laugh at that, I'm afraid. <laughs> if someone said it tomorrow, even having you heard you say it just now, be like, I love that Steve Middleman bit. <laughs> For real, I wanted I wanted so bad to be like Gary Mule dear. I just immediately know know the yeah. comic by the most obscure <laughs> airport joke. Possible. I know. I was actually getting excited there. I'm like, I bet I I bet I know who it is. <laughs> Damn, I don't. I have one that maybe you guys can identify. That's one of my favorite, or I shouldn't say my favorite. It's almost like the first stuff I saw. I loved. I loved it all. I loved that people were doing it. There didn't seem to be any. It was like they're making it up right now, that idea where like everything about it seems so magical. But there was a guy that did this joke where he's at the grocery store and he says he he has all of his groceries and the last thing he has on the conveyor belt is a package of toilet paper. And then when he gets up to the when the woman's checking him out, he says to her, so for all of this, how much of like he's holding up the toilet paper? How much of this do I need for this? Is this enough? This and he just keeps doing it. You know who that guy is? No, no. He was kind of, he was blonde. He was kind of just like a regular guy looking. But I think about that joke all the time where I'm like, that's the, you know, when you're trying to write comedy and you can't think of anything and then you just start thinking of, well, like, that's so easy. It's simple. Everyone can relate to it. And then you're just sort of like, why can't I think of it? Like, <laughs> like where's my conveyor belt toilet paper yeah, yeah. <laughs> joke? And little did you know, you would have dozens of them by the time you were 30. <laughs> it's my true inspiration. It seems crazy to me, but the the one comic that I saw on one of those shows late at night that I related to was Jay Moore because he had on a leather jacket and a Bad Brains t-shirt. <laughs> and I was like, there's a comedian that listens to Bad Brains? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, he actually did. He produced some documentary about Bad Brains just recently, I noticed, but I don't... But he was also a great stand-up. He had great jokes, did amazing impressions. Like, he was great. Yeah, but it's crazy to me that I saw a version of him with, like, long surfer hair and a Bad Brains t-shirt <laughs> and a leather jacket. Like, he was trying that look out. And he was also young. He was, like, one of the youngest comics I'd ever seen on one of those mm -hmm. shows. Like... So thank you, Jay Moore, for being my inspiration into getting into comedy. <laughs> the week I started comedy, 
like the fi- I had wanted to do it, and I was hanging out at this one, um, like, it wasn't an, really an open mic night. It was kind of booked, but there was like a bunch, it was like 12 comics, a showcase night, I guess. But, um, and I hung out there for like almost over a month before I could get up the guts to do it. And then when I finally did it, I'm like, I'm, it's so original. Like, I was convinced I was the only person like me to be doing stand-up comedy in the way I was doing it. And a week later, I saw Janine Garofalo on Half Hour Comedy Hour, and I just stood up and started crying and walked out of the room. And all my friends were like, oh, Karen, poor kid. And it was like, I was like, there's no reason for me to be doing stand-up comedy anymore if she's doing it. Like, she had black tights and cut-off jeans over her black tights and combat boots and like, you know, a cool shirt or whatever and cool everything like that's what I wanted to be like and then she was doing her amazing jokes like when she's saying to the waiter like tapping her wrist like what time is it and he's like yes was what is it and she's like uh what bone is this (laughs) like he's (laughs) what else would she be asking but what time is it and he's like can I help you Uh, yes what bone is this like stuff like that. And then I was just like, oh, forget it. I don't, I shouldn't be doing this. Literally started crying. And my friends made fun of me so hard because it was just like, uh, you know, how old I were thought you? I was 20. Oh, that's crushing. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. At, especially at 20. I can't believe you tried it at 20. I didn't try stand up until I was 29. I mm, oh, was wow. very old. Yeah. Oh, quote unquote. You can start anytime. <laughs> right. Yes, you can. <laughs> I had just flunked out of college. So it was almost like it was my last gasp of doing anything at all before I was like, okay, I'll just be a gutter drunk right. and never do anything else with my life. So it was kind of like I had to really paint myself into a corner. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like a cool plan. Like I had all this great, you know, I was doing great stuff and I was working up to it or whatever. It was like, well, if I'm not in college, maybe maybe my parents will like it if I do stand-up comedy. <laughs> Just like, no, that's not a solution. Yeah, where, yeah, what were your parents like when you said you wanted to be a comic, Kurt? Were they supportive? I'm still not sure if my dad knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he knows. I think he knows. I'm sure he knows. Uh, Maybe. And (laughs) um, I think my mom, my mom was just so, um, she was so supportive without ever understanding anything that I did. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That it just was like slotted in. With all, everything else, you know, at least you're not wearing a, a phone cord as a belt anymore. Like, that's I'm sure what she was thinking. Like, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> did, you, did you just rip it off an old phone one day? Like, was that your punk rock era? It sure was. It sure was. Yeah. Had a. It would be a classic outfit. <laughs> would it be a phone cord? And it was a curly Q phone cord around cool, my waist, cool. just tied um, yep. with a ween, a ripped ween shirt and oh, uh, yeah. and purple hair. And, and that a was crow yeah. on your shoulder. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was Ed. For, that was and honestly, she did, she missed most of the worst haircuts because I was at college when I did them. I, at one point, I had a completely shaved head with just a a, a pu- I left the front. And it, the front, just this like little a coxcomb of hair in the front <laughs> that I would then s- sculpt into two horns with pomade, like wow. a, like an ant, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sniffing out his 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 place to go. <laughs> wow, the visual. Uh-huh. Wait. I saw Annalise put together a very nice bio of you, which is always funny when it's someone that you already know. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I would like to know where he went to college. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the information I wanted. But you went to Johns Hopkins. Were you pre-med or was that a medical situation? No, that's what I wonder. It was not. I I mean, I I was not pre-med. I was uh, philosophy. (laughs) Um. (laughs) And so, you know, the classic place you go for an English philosophy degree, Johns Hopkins University. I like to be in a minority wherever I go of what other people are doing. 
Yeah. Um, there was like four other four other people that were also doing that, and we all lived together. But we were definitely <laughs> like not. The campus was very uh, pre med. Yeah. And there was a big uh, building on campus that Bloomberg had paid for, Mike Bloomberg. Um, and it was just like, we are making weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think now it's a lot different. Like, there's a theater department now, I think, at Johns Hopkins. But when I was there, it was just like all the plays, we were just putting them on by ourselves. <laughs> And what, why was that your, I imagine you got good grades, so you had a choice if you got into Johns Hopkins. I, you right? know, I, I think I only got into two places. I got into Johns Hopkins and Middlebury, and I decided to go to Johns Hopkins. Yeah, my dad had gone there, and that was what uh, I was, he was going to help me if I went there. So I was like, oh, okay, yes, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go there and do the thing you don't want me to do. It'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I, well, I can, I can study useless things anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Everything that I wanted to do in college, they started those programs like the year I graduated. They, all of a sudden there's a new building and they're like Oh, yeah, we teach pre-film animation, yeah. graphic design, <laughs> everything I wanted to do. Prior to that, they're like, you can either teach art history or become a studio painter and try and do shows, gallery shows. And I'm like, I don't, I want to draw things and get them in magazines. And they're like, yeah, we don't know anything about that. And then all the, <laughs> We cannot help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I was like, oh, I should have taken a break and then come back. Because, yeah, now there's like a full on people put out animated films there. Just it's amazing to think of like if I had started making things at a younger age, because that because like then I left I left school and then just started improvising. I was just improvising from like 22 to 29 yeah, and not yeah. making a goddamn thing. <laughs> I just wish I was making things earlier. You know, I was just I had convinced myself that improv was like uh like some, it was just like jazz, man, is the only art form that exists <laughs> that is just created on the spot and it doesn't have a record, you know? Like I thought it was like so noble that I had nothing to show for seven years of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Because it was the 90s, right? Or 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s, yeah. Early 2000s. I, I think that is what, it was like pre-internet. Mm -hmm mentality and i came up in the midst of it where it's like no matter what you did you were a sellout unless you basically you know did exactly that like did a thing that wasn't recorded did a thing that wasn't rehearsed did a thing that wasn't you, nobody was paying you like that was the only way to get invisible cred yeah and then social media came along and it's like nope we're all going to make some money and we're all going to be nice to each other Get used to it. It's a completely, it's a 180, everybody. It was a, it's a real 180. I, it took me so long to not see telling people that I was performing as bragging. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. It took me so long to see promote self-promotion as not like being braggy about. <laughs> and I was just like, it was like year, like 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I still struggle with that. And it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't post uh, another stand-up clip. People are going to think I'm riddled with confidence. Here's, the, here's what I think is interesting, though. After all this time, my biggest regret, because it took me a really long time to ever take an improv class, that turned out to be my biggest fear because I have a lot of control issues and I like to see things exactly how I see it and then basically that's it. So stand-up comedy is perfect, right? Because And then you're getting like applause for that. Like, this is only my idea. It's only me. And so improv is like the opposite of that. And I was just like, I can't do it. Like, I, there's no way. And my friend tricked me into doing an improv class with her because she's like, just come with me. You can audit. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. I don't have anything else to do. So I went and the teacher's immediately like, no, no auditing. Get up here. And I was like, this is like, but I couldn't say that because it seems so unreasonable and kind of crazy where I'm like, this is my version of like, of like jumping off a cliff or something. Like, I can't do this. This is horrifying to me. And the... <laughs> first scene that I was ever in, I just went to one side of the stage and 
started flipping burgers with like, <laughs> like as if I was dying, just kind of like, Ugh. and the guy walked in and I just slowly turned my back so that, and he's like, stop, Chris Barnes, amazing improv teacher. He was like, Karen, stop, stop. Why won't you acknowledge the person in your, if if you made it so that it's a hamburger stand, why won't you talk to the customer? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't want to. Like, it was all my instincts were perfectly incorrect. And it was, it really was hard. And then once I started doing it, I was like, oh shit, this is like how you're supposed to be in the world. Like, yes, anding reality and like being in it with other people and seeing what they bring and reacting, not planning ahead and not like, you know, controlling everything, but just going with what's happening, which is so much harder than it sounds for some people. In life, yeah, up to that point, even in life, you were no-butting? I no-butted the fuck out of things. It, that was my way. <laughs> and also, stand-up is a no-butt at all, almost all, the whole time. And I, I found it because I started doing stand-up after doing seven years of improv, and I was teaching improv, you know, it was like my whole life. I, I struggled so much. It was like stand-up was such a different brain that I was just like, I'm a very good improviser. This is going to be easy and get up there. <laughs> and my first five minutes was too, like, you know, dead, like not a single joke worked. And I was like, this is a lot of material to not work. Yeah. <laughs> In a row. <laughs> in a row. <laughs> and I was like, it had, I had to like rebuild my brain for it. And once I had rebuilt my brain, I stopped doing improv. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I, for a long time when I moved to Austin, cause I moved there because of the, the big stinking improv festival. I don't know if either of you heard of that. I remember it. Just a couple years. Uh, but that's, my group went there and that's when I got introduced to stand up. And so when I moved there, I was like, oh, I can do both. Because they would have like improv at eight and then nine o'clock there's stand up and I'd be on both shows. And I did that for a while, but I realized there was like, there was nights I was able to do stand up and absolutely could not do improv and then vice versa. It's just obviously a different part of your brain. If you're feeling yeah. loose and playful, I, I don't, you would think that would be helpful for stand-up too, but I never did well at both in the same night, ever. Yeah, it's It would always alternate, yeah. It is very... I've also seen some improvisers do stand-up and eat it when on paper what they were saying was funny, but what I realized, like there's a couple of people I've watched and I'm like, oh, they're doing, it's not them doing stand-up, they're doing the character of a stand-up comedian. right is what I think yes. as an audience member, that's what I was feeling like the audience was interpreting. Whereas if everybody other person is getting up, even if they're eating it, they're being themselves eating it. And that's the audience can feel it's like that invisible credit you're getting for just even standing there and saying your real thoughts. Right. As opposed to kind of doing a voice or being present where immediately the audience is like, you're not actually doing it. So we're not going to like laugh at this. I, it's an interesting... Um, I don't know. I think I find those two things fascinating. And I really do, having been in the 90s, like improv phobic, I became such a believer after that. Whereas like that one class kind of just snapped me out of it where it's like, ha you have to be open to things to think things are funny uh -huh. and to yeah. be funny in the moment. Yeah, that divide. That's what I experienced in Austin. People were like, you have to choose one or the other. You can't do both. And I'm like, why not? And then, so it was pressure from other stand-ups. It's like, you can't. Austin's you got commit. rules, Chris. Yeah, they did rules. And they were at a lot. There was two camps and you couldn't be in both. Yeah. It's very strange. It's obviously not that way anymore. I also find when people come from improv to start doing stand-up, there's an obsession with um, the form of stand-up. And so all of their first jokes, or I see it a lot at least, are making fun of the tropes of stand-up or the, like, holding the mic or adjusting the mic, like that bit I've seen, so you know, so many times yeah. from people, like, starting yeah. off. Or, like, the idea of, like, uh, ladies, am I right? You know, and, like, doing the things that are, like, the, the callback <laughs> to the audience. It's, like, people being, like, these are all the things I noticed about stand-up, but when you do them, the audience is like, yeah, it doesn't. We want to see like you. Yeah. And there's a little bit of when you do a trope. I mean, I, I'm thinking of a very specific night 
it was at Little Joy, and I think, Chris, you were probably on the show. And everyone was doing having very different sets. So I was like, what is going on with this audience? Because it was like one person would get up that you know was hilarious and it would just be dead silent. And then another person would get up and they would be fine, but they would be killing. And I'm like, oh, are those all your friends? What is it? And I was like getting very analytical about like, what is this and how do we do this or whatever? And then one person got up that was basically introduced by saying that they do improv or something. And that's what he was, it was like he was up there to go, this is what stand-up is, but almost sarcastically. And the audience might as well have all like crossed their arms at the same time. They were, it was so funny and interesting in that way where it's like, oh, you're going to do this five more times and then you're going to actually just, be doing it instead of doing the voice. Yeah. You don't have to have that like thing up. Yes. Yes, it is. It's like a, it's an attempt to have like a critical eye making fun of the, the of stand up, but you're doing stand up. You're doing it. <laughs> you're in it. And buddy. So the audience feels the, um, the inherent dishonesty there, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's uh, probably a product of the fact that, Little Joy usually was just comics stand up, other stand ups <laughs> waiting to go out. True. That, oh, that's yeah. every time. And which is, I mean, that, that, that place is a block from my house. And lately I've been going there to, uh, if golf isn't boring enough, I've really gotten into playing pool. And there's like a league <laughs> night down there. And now it's a shame. They're, they're close. You just go I, play uh, a game. You go yeah, from place game to place, game. game to game. It's like my bingo is down on the corner. <laughs> I have a stick that's in my Amazon uh, cart right now. I haven't pulled the trigger on it because they've closed for a month. They're renovating and they're actually little joys taking that performance space out. And guess what they're putting in there? Uh, the pool table. So I'm do- I, this is going to be really bad for my career. Oh, shit. But not my future on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> Trick new... shot Fairbanks. The, oh, the yeah. world snooker competition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How does he always know where to leave the cue ball? Cue ball. <laughs> oh, there's a coyote in the on the table. <laughs> you and your coyote. Uh, yeah, it's tricks. a shame. I I didn't realize I would miss that that space. There's I was so embarrassed when I would go there. Because Monday night is a night for playing pool, and Anna Saragina and all those people that run a show right now, uh, Megan Keister, they all would come out after a show, and I'm like, oh yeah, they're doing stand up, <laughs> which is the thing I'm supposed to do for a living, <laughs> and I'm just get to work. Yeah, I try and hide my black fingerless glove that I require. <laughs> That makes me sad that room is going away. I think yeah, that room was so cool. It's kind of been hitting me the last uh, couple of weeks of them being closed. Also, the fact that I've uh, been healthy and sober and waking up early because of my unhealthy billiards lifestyle is on hold. <laughs> <laughs> really makes you think. Yeah, it is. The, there, you, no one gets on ESPN bowling or playing pool without uh, some damage to their liver. Without a divorce. <laughs> yeah, or That's without for yes, sure. someone leaving you. Kurt, do you guys, two questions, mm-hmm. two-parter. I'm ready. Do you still do Hot Tub, the legendary comedy show? Yes, we do. We've started up again, uh, and it's Wednesday nights at Permanent mm-hmm. Records Roadhouse. Oh, <gasps> yes. And you, My favorite. And you guys both have to come and do it anytime I you want to get up. Um, Please. It's awesome. It's outside. So, uh, you know, COVID friendly guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just such a cool space because as soon as like the show ends, there's a band that's inside. So literally yeah. as you're leaving, you're like, here's just a great local band that I've never heard of. And I just always like hang out and watch a couple songs and it's feels very cool. Yep. Last yes, time I performed there, rules. went in, saw Frankie and the Witch Fingers, rocked out and bought a T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> I have a teacher. I have nothing to show for my set that night, but I do have my first on purpose tie dye shirt. It's the coolest. From, it's one of the coolest venues in LA right now. Yeah, I, feel I think like. so too. It really I'm, is. Yeah. I'm doing it this week. I'm very excited. It also looks like a dive bar from the 90s, like the the checkered floor, red vinyl booths, Budweiser, Tiffany lamps. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that, like, the first time I walked in, it was like, my heart, like, this is a real blast from the past, but they're not being, like, kitschy or anything. It's just like, no, this is what a cool bar, this is what it feels like, this is what it looks like. Yes. And then that perfect stage at the end. It's, I love that place. The last, the, 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 when you said the checkered floor, the checkered floor is a big thing. And I remember the very first time I ever encountered that was at this bar that no longer exists in Baltimore, Maryland, in a section of Baltimore called Pigtown. <laughs> and only Baltimore would have a section of town called Pigtown because it was where the slaughterhouses were. But then human beings lived there. And so it was like slaughterhouses and junkyards and salvage yards and then a fucking neighborhood. And Memory Lanes was there. And it was like a 50s-styled punk rock dive bar that would have shows there. And I spent my 21st birthday there, like, getting Ugh. drunk. Um, saw so many good shows there in Baltimore. Oh, it was a delight. A delight. If anybody remembers, Memory Lanes and Pig The Tales. best. <laughs> they knew that you would think about it later. Memory <laughs> Lanes. Remember did you When did you first start doing things with Kristen Schaal? Was that two? 2004, February 22nd, 2004. Because oh, so I bet she was up. living in, I, I lived with Tig and that year, Tig was on the road for, I think a couple months and Kristen took over her bedroom and we were like roommates for just a couple months. And I, I don't, I can't remember where she had moved from, but I know she was new to town. That had to be, that was my second year in LA, so... In L.A.? For a little while. Oh, it was New York. This was New York, 2004 New York. I think oh, she, when did she move I think she maybe LA would come then? out. She would stay in Tig's back house when she came out for, like, pilot season and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, one of the, okay. And she had done that a few times, but this time someone, uh, uh, a DJ or someone was living in the back who I think broke in and stole <laughs> Tig's TV. One of the first things Tig, Tig ever bought and I don't know why I went in her room. Don't tell her, but I peeked in there and there was just a broken window and her brand new TV was gone. And uh, I called her immediately because I love spreading bad news. But one, yeah. Who doesn't? Kristen stayed in there fun. for a while. We'd have coffee in the kitchen. And I was, uh, yeah, we lived together for a short time. Look at that. Yeah, it's going to be 18 years of, stand, of, of us doing the show. That's amazing. Very soon. That's great. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Was Hot Tub just a random... Why'd you name your show Hot Tub? Because uh, uh, we were trying to come up with a name and I had been in a hot tub. Okay. I I'm knew not that kidding. that would like, be the that story. That is the actual reason. <laughs> I had been in a hot tub in like uh, for New Year's. And so we were like come, trying to come up with a flyer and I had a photograph of... We had like rented a hot tub because we had rented a house in upstate New York, to, I think to go skiing or something. And then we rented a hot tub because like the company <laughs> would just come and like inflate a hot tub in the backyard and fill it up. And so when you like arrived, it was like hot and ready to go. It's nice. it's like uh, the fact that I had the wherewithal to do that at 29 blows my mind away, <laughs> you know. Um, and I have this awesome photograph of all of us in there, but all of our faces are uh obscured by like the steam except for my one buddy Mike who has this giant beard on and he's so high and he's holding a beer and he's like looking out and it looks like it's from the 70s or something and so I gave that photograph to a buddy of mine and he just like you know just did some graphic design magic and that was like our first flyer which was oh okay hot nice and it was yeah uh, yeah a wet jubilee of comedy was the name of it originally (laughs) and the originally when we had hot tub um there was an animal race that was uh, happened every show um for like the first six months of the show and there was a lot of animals lost in the space um (laughs) you would line them up and they would make it to a finish line yes we so we would like once we did cockroaches, the theater did not like that. Um, we did sand. I'm on the theater side. Yeah. We did sandworms once. They're disgusting. Um, we did crickets. The theater really didn't like that. Yeah, this seems more like bugs. We were. Doing, we did snails. Well, the thing is, we had to have animals that you could like keep in a box. Oh my god! And so we kind of stopped. We stopped as shortly after, but and then we felt, you know. 
because we had just started the show, we were like, people are going to be really disappointed. This is, by the way, it would sell out at 40 tickets. And we were like, people are going to be so upset that we've got rid of the animal races at the end of this comedy show. We were like really worried. There is a part. the reason they're coming. <laughs> yeah. People I've... would always be like, what is happening? Why is this happening at the end? <laughs> People, it's surprising. <laughs> There's this Brennan's pub near where I lived uh, in Venice, and they had turtle racing, which yes. I did not. It it was, it's people yelling and screaming, and the turtles are running in a panic, like they are not <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah, we realized uh, it was. But a they bad do idea. know to go in a straight line, and uh, people wow. get very competitive, and it's just not my scene. Not my scene at all. I would prefer to play chicken shit bingo. I yeah. prefer to keep going to these underground dog fights I've been betting on. <laughs> Chris! I'm no. sorry, but I, it's just the, 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 the energy in the room. It can't be duplicated. <laughs> the passion. The, <clears throat> I thought when you said that, I was imagining that you were having like comedians that were on the show bring a pet to race. <laughs> like... And maybe it's because when my sister was in kindergarten, this is like the legendary family story. When my sister was in kindergarten, they had a day in kindergarten, so five-year-olds, called Pet Parade. And you just brought your pet, dog, cat, whatever you wanted, to school. (gasps) And so they could walk it in a circle at Pet Parade in the kindergarten. So my sister brings our cat, Taffy, uh, who was just one of them orange cats that we found in the crick. And... (laughs) Of course, Taffy spends maybe 20 seconds there, and there's dogs around and other cats, and Taffy flips out. My sister's trying to hold it as a five-year-old, and Taffy scratches her eye directly underneath. So she almost lost an eye, but instead it was just a scar she had till she was, like, in high school. But it wasn't wasn't like it almost looked like a crease, but we talk about it where it's like, who doesn't know that animals don't get along? Like, those animals probably won't get along. And that the people in charge of the animals just got here. They're five or six years old, six max. <laughs> and they're in charge of pet parade. Like, the most psychotic idea, I think. I can't even imagine. I wouldn't even let my five-year-old walk our dog current. Like, at all. <laughs> at all, at all, at all. Uh, so that is amazing. That, like, that that was, like, every... Because there's definitely not... It's not all small dogs. There's just a, some normally big dogs. They're like, Absolutely. Yeah. And also, Laura didn't... My sister didn't have the cat on a leash. We don't <laughs> have that. So it was just her holding the cat for the... And also, both my parents worked. No one was with her. I'm sure my, like, carpool dropped her off with the cat. And it was like, good luck. Yeah, we'll say. I refuse to believe that day ever went off without a hitch. <laughs> I do not think there was ever a successful cat day. What if it was It was always great until my sister, and then she ruined it for everybody with Taffy? Well, I hope she believes that. Um, <laughs> I do have a weird way to marry our conversation about hot tub and the pet parade, is that uh, for a hot tub in, I think... 2011, I did the um, 9-11 Memorial Puppy Parade. Oh, no. (laughs) And it was at the top of the show, and we we did exactly that. We walked around the block. I had a a marching band, and everyone brought their dogs to the show. And then we uh, marched around the block with a marching band, and I had a big banner that says 9-11. And then we brought everybody back to uh, there that we just started the show. That was just like how it Wait, happened. What This was not, because there was a version of this that you did at Bridgetown, and I actually was in the parade. I marched with people. <laughs> oh, there was a marching band, but it wasn't a 9-11 memorial puppy yes, parade. It was right. just a celebrate. I think everyone was going to get cookies Drunk. or donuts yeah. or so, Or maybe <laughs> yeah. I could, I'm doing what I've done many times and confused you with Andy Kaufman. He he brought us when I was a child to get cookies. Yes, that's right. And that at Bridgetown show, there was also a guy on a unicycle dressed as Darth Vader with a bagpipe that shot fire. Do you remember him? (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Yeah, like I think we marched past him and he did a performance while we were like marching past, but it was, was it he, was crazy. Like a steampunk, did he have one of those utility kilts? Uh, yeah, he had he a had kilt to. on. Yes, yeah. he had to. And he had a, a Darth Vader mask and a, a bagpipes that played music, but then also shot fire out the tops. <laughs> that had to be a <laughs> modification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a real bagpipe. That's no. not... From the store. It doesn't come that no, way. No, they don't do that at Guitar Center. But you hired that guy to be someone you passed, or yes. was it by chance? No, 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 okay. we hired that, that guy. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we paid him, but he was definitely part of the <laughs> <laughs> entertainment. You invited him. Yes. That's what matters. Yes, he exactly. was invited. Well, I just want to say, because we should have you plug things like your newest special, Perfectly Stupid, yes. that you just released la at the end of last year, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Y you can watch it for free right now. It's called Perfectly Stupid, and it's on YouTube. And if you don't want to watch it on YouTube on your computer, you can watch it on Amazon for five bucks. Yep. Mm -hmm. The New York Times said it was good, so you know somebody likes it. Just one person. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> You know it's anti-trans the entire time. <laughs> what? From top That's to not bottom. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm very. Ha I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy with it. How it turned. Congratulations. out. Congratulations. Getting actually, get, to be honest, getting a great review from the New York Times is a big deal. That they don't give those out easy. I have been trying for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> And you did it. And it felt very good. I was like, oh, good. Even though I was paid nothing for this special, <laughs> right. I am paid in kind words from the New York Times. Yeah, Kurt, yeah. that's exactly was my situation. Uh, pay for it on Amazon or it's free on YouTube. I like <laughs> yes. to give people that option. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I didn't have a review. I had a review in the Saturday Evening Post. It was a oh. magazine. Norman Back Rockwell in 1941? Illustrated, yeah. <laughs> That's was, nice. Well, you know how a lot of my jokes are World War II era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> period, period bits. Listener, if you haven't watched it, because you also have two other comedy specials. Mm -hmm. One, two. Two more, two. yeah. Kurt is truly one of the best stand-up comedians I've ever seen. Aww. You are, honestly, and I... Don't tell you this enough or directly enough, but I when I watch you do comedy, I'm like, that is how it is supposed to be done. It's so smart. It is so truly delightful and beautifully developed and completely accessible. Like, it's not—it's smart, not snobby. It's always hilarious and then gets more hilarious. Like, you have blown my mind multiple times when I've watched you live. Oh, I really, thank you. Th it's nice to hear that because I'm just writing all new material now and I feel like <laughs> a real idiot. <laughs> Isn't the, it's the worst feeling. I yeah. really feel like I spent my entire career, especially since when I finally made a special, a lot of the material was, there, there's versions of it on my very first album. Like, it's spanning Yes. Uh, an embarrassing uh, <laughs> 20 years. And now I really feel like I have to start over. And that pressure has been sitting here for like three years. Yeah. And it's still, I'm, what I'm saying is much like the loss of a loved one, it never gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> and it really does, no matter how many times you go through it, you're still like, well, I guess I don't have any more ideas. You, yeah. There always is that feeling where, it, and it's like, it's simply not true, but it's very difficult to not feel it. I mean, it's true that you get fewer and fewer <laughs> ideas. I mean, that's just how the world works. That's <laughs> just how brains work in time. Yeah. I'll yeah, be 80 it's... years old being like, I got it. I got to have one more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, delightful to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing yeah, this with us. Yeah, you're the best. Thank you. Yeah, you put I... us both in a good mood. I'm going to speak yeah, I'm in a better mood. This. I am. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We're Fun. Gonna, I bet when we log off after this, we're all going to be alone in our place just whistling. <laughs> That's what people do when they're in a good mood, right? Yeah. Or if they're a serial killer, yeah. they whistle too. You know what? I've just remembered. I fucking hate whistling. It's very creepy. Even if you're good at it, don't do it. No. <laughs> and I'm talking to you, guy from Scorpions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. 
That's yeah, for, I do personal. That's for a do. song celebrating the wall coming down, the Berlin Wall coming down. I know. I'm more of a Hasselhoff guy. <laughs> Chris loved he was the Stasi, there. and he didn't want that wall coming down. He was for it. He loves it. Well, uh, watch Kurt anywhere you see comedy with a parade after. <laughs> He's one of the best. And um, thank you for being on our podcast, Kurt. Thank you for talking about buttholes and animals, too. (laughs) All the assignments I gave you. You've been listening to Do You Need a Ride? (laughs) Oh, my God. This voice will never get better. D-Y-N-A-R. A-R. I'm in it, too. I got called up. I got (laughs) caught up in it. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Mixed by Edson Choi. Our talent booker is Patrick Kotner. Theme song by Karen Kilgariff. Artwork by Chris Fairbanks. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dinar Podcast. That's D-Y-N-A-R Podcast. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Follow Do You Need a Ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you never miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit the exactlyrightstore.com to purchase Do You Need a Ride merch.